In Philippians 1, 29, it says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Today, we're going to talk about Pa's struggle to live in a world without DoorDash. This is Day 5. Welcome to the Journey Through Philippians podcast, where every day we set aside space in our lives to experience God's word. Together, we'll discuss the context and meaning of each passage and how the book of Philippians can help us understand more about who God is and the story he's writing for each of us every day. You know, Tyler, I actually think that it's a struggle living in a world with DoorDash. Right. I was thinking Have you ever day, used it? What do you mean, have I ever used it? I'm using it right now. <laughs> I actually believe you. What is, what's Wait, coming? No, I'm no, getting no, dinner like, later. I for real was thinking the other day on the way home, I was like, oh my gosh, I can order anything I want. And I by the time I get home... I'll have it timed perfectly. It'll just be there. Yeah. Right? Well, ideally. That's crazy. Ideally. It is great in concept, but like the number of times I've had this, like when you do the group orders, okay, everybody puts okay. it in and uh-huh. then the next morning they're all gone and I have to, you know, That is a everybody. struggle. I was thinking more about the convenience <laughs> of what an amazing world we live in that it takes me literally 10 seconds and yeah. I can order a meal for my family yeah. and it's there. Is I, it always correct though? I mean, that's depends. the big question. That's not DoorDash. Order I will say that's not DoorDash's yeah, that's fault. The restaurant. Yeah. And then do you look back and go, did I just spend $25 on a taco and a delivery? And then you eat it and you're like, that was that worth was it. That was worth it. It was all worth it. <laughs> that's true. Well, more of what I'm talking about is like, Paul didn't live in a world with DoorDash. Wouldn't yeah. it be great if he was in prison and he could just be like, Ooh. I need, I'm very hungry. Yeah. He said he had to wait for his friends to come bring him food. Hundreds of miles. That's with. true. That's less of what I'm... Tacos would not be, be like, in so good shape. Hey, I'm going to get something for my prison guard too. Oh man. He yeah. looks like he might Add want that Chipotle. Order. Yeah, he'd eat Chipotle for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, depends where he is, I guess. If he's in oh. Ephesus or Rome or Corinth. Mm. I mean, I think they have... We could explore all the... I, I feel like... I think they're just eating feta and olives. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I feel like this is not a dispute about where Chipotle has reached <laughs> in the ancient civilization, Brendan. I feel like if it's hit one of those cities, it probably has hit all of them. <laughs> Let's be real. More of what I was going to ask oh, you guys man. is, what's like, obviously it'd be a struggle to live where you're waiting on everybody else to take care of you, which is mm-hmm. what Paul's doing in this prison and what's what he refers to in this opening verse. But here's my question for you guys. Mm-hmm. What's the most suffering you've ever done? Ooh. Like what memory have you been like, you know what? That was just a day of suffering. Brennan? Uh, what is the most... There's got to be like one day on the farm where you just had to get up extra okay. early yeah. and it was like harvest season. <laughs> Actually, I have seasonal allergies. Oh, Ooh. no. On hay a fever. farm. Yeah, on a oh. farm. Ooh. Hay fever on yeah, a farm. That's, that's yes. why. Uh, oh, no. It's a recipe for disaster. That's, mm-hmm. Why I did not choose to become a farmer. But yeah, I remember one day bailing hay and like, <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have been doing it. I, <laughs> I was joking, <laughs> but here comes the Mr. Iowa no, but all over again. This is his example. That's I love fine. it. That's yeah. Fine. All right. So, tell us about was, it. Well, no, I mean, I was just, I bailed the hay, threw it all in the hay rack, and then we took it. We had an elevator. We would take the bales up to the. You guys are just... I'm not. <laughs> I'm listening. I think it's interesting. I'm, I'm learning a lot was, about farming. So I was in the hay mount and, you know, taking hay off the elevator. And all of a sudden I start sneezing and I would just sneeze for like every five seconds for the oh next hour. And I, I had to call it quits. And I Did your bad. eyes turn red and everything? Wait, everything wait, wait, wait. Just... So you tried for an hour <laughs> sneezing <laughs> once every five seconds. <laughs> I, I stopped helping. I went inside, got in the air conditioning. Uh, that is what Paul would call running the race. Uh, yes. and finishing right. well, right? Not, 
I didn't finish. I made it about two minutes, and that was about it. So. <laughs> you did not give I, up. I helped outside, but once we got to the haymount, that was it for me. The haymount is the spot where the king of all hay sits, right? Yeah. Uh, you just sit up on the haymount <laughs> and roll over your. I want to you know. know more about this elevator. Like, where was there an elevator well, where it's, you? It's it's just took a, the hay. I mean, some metal. Because <laughs> I used to feed horses, but I would have to climb a ladder well, and then I mean, push there, their hay too, into the trough. No, but there's so the hay's on the ground. Okay, you got to get up somehow. So we have these. I don't know what you call it. It's a guide. It's a metal guide that has this chain with spokes, and you put the bale on it, and the. I just need right one on day up. in the life of Brendan Lang we on should the do farm. That. Yeah, we should do that. We should the suffering life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Melissa? Well, now I see what direction we're going. So I would say one of the times where I felt like I suffered the most would be I had deviated septum surgery. And so after the surgery, they shove this packing up your nose and then it stays in there for like eight days. And you literally just have to like make sure that, you know, it stays there. But the worst day of that whole like surgery and the whole process is when they actually like pulled the stuffing out of my nose and it was the most painful and like I felt like I could not wait until that moment was over and it only took like 30 seconds but it felt like an Mm. eternity at least it didn't last for very long no and then the doctor he turned off the lights and he was like I'm gonna let you sit here for a moment because I know you're very nauseous and I was like oh he knows me so well He's like, no, 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 actually, you're just green. I know. He was like, no, I I think you're about to be sick. And your left eye is closed. Yeah, exactly. The whole process was pretty painful, but it was definitely the removal of the packing that Mm. was, I felt like like I wanted to die. That sounds awful. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Tyler? I was on a short-term mission trip in Mexico with junior hires. Were you one of the junior hires? Or I this was is... one of the junior hires, okay. but I was, oh, okay. one, I was one of two guys on this whole trip. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. And the rest of them were like eighth grade girls. Oh, no. And we went with this organization that builds houses. Mm-hmm. And it was in Juarez, Mexico, mm. which now you're not allowed to go there. <laughs> oh, cool. And we slept on the floor of this church in like sleeping bags. And so it was like no sleep. You're up at 4 a.m. to get to the work site before the sun. Mm. And being one of two guys on the trip was an interesting situation. That was probably suffering enough. Yeah. Well, like (laughs) 15 minutes into the first workday, it's like 115. Yeah. You know, 115 degrees at 7 a.m. with humidity. Mm -hmm. And the sun's like crazy hot. Wow. And we look around, we're like, where'd everybody go? We're like just mixing concrete. Just you and your bud? Well, it turns out it's just me and my bud, but all the other people were there like 10 minutes before because we'd just gotten there. <laughs> and we looked back, we didn't know where to be. They'd all gone and sat in the van mm-hmm. and they started the AC in the van and they just, sat, and I'm like, we have five more hours right. before our little lunch and siesta. And they probably drank all your water too in that time. Actually, yeah, they were busting out the radiator. <laughs> they, they were that thirsty, apparently. That trip. We built like a two-bedroom house and like wired it with electricity Whoa. and all that stuff. But it was that every day, every single day. It mm-hmm. was the hardest work I've ever wow. done. I've never slept better. Never been back. Nope. Never <laughs> been back. Can't go back. Because we're not allowed to. <laughs> right. Can you just see pictures of the house? That would be nice. I don't know if I even have photos. Do you think it's still there? Definitely not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we're rereading all of chapter one of Philippians. And we're going to kind of ponder some of the bigger picture things for this day, but we're also just going to take a nice break and listen to the whole chapter as Paul wrote it, as his letter to the Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So we get this passage about suffering and Paul's circumstances, sort of the end of the chapter here. We talked at kind of the first episode this week mm -hmm. about his overall thing is like, he's a missionary. Yeah. But can you give us more context just about Paul in general during this time? What is Paul's deal? A, that's a big question, but Paul's deal. So the question was, what's Paul's deal? What's Paul's deal? <laughs> what's he doing traveling around? Who is this guy? First church in Europe is Philippi. Why there? What did he do before this? Who's he talking to? Who's he work for? Well, he's working besides the he's Lord Jesus servant Christ. of the Lord yeah, Jesus Christ. There. I know. As he identifies I himself. I did in the very read first it. Verse. I read the book. I read it. <laughs> I mean, in, in a lot of ways, he does work for the Lord. He he has an encounter with him, and then we know that he spends some time doing ministry work to the east and Arabia and some of these areas. But then eventually, he goes on some missionary journeys throughout the whole. We've called this the Greco-Roman world. So Paul is Jewish. 
Yeah. And he was very, very devout Jew for a while. Yeah. And then he had an encounter with Jesus and everything changed. But there's a lot of dynamics at this time between Christians, God-fearers as they're referred to, Jews, Gentiles that are thrown in there and that word. What is up with all that narrative and how does Paul fit into the narratives of all these different types of people groups? You have these different groups. You have Jews, and Paul would still identify as a Jew. Basically, the one difference he sees is that Jesus is who he understands to be the the Messiah, the coming king, the, the new David, who's come to establish the kingdom of God here on earth. And so you have Jews, you have Messianic Jews, and then you have God-fearers who are essentially Gentiles who were practicing Jews, you might say. They would worship the Jewish God, participate in some of the ceremonies and services, but they weren't I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. You know, like they, weren't, they weren't circumcised, they weren't ethnically Jewish, things like this, but they still worshiped the Jewish God. And then you have Gentiles. And Paul saw it as his mission to, he was a minister, he was a missionary to all these groups, but he was definitely a missionary to the Gentiles, their most vocal advocate, you might say in a lot of ways. His practice was always to go to the synagogue when he would go to a new city and begin preaching there because that's where he had a connection. You know, he was a Pharisee by education, he'd been brought up in the Jewish law, and so he knew he always had sort of a platform there to connect with people and preach the gospel and preach Jesus as the fulfillment of everything they had been looking for. But then he would sort of spread out from there and make connections with others and begin sharing the gospel with others as well, because he understood that God's mission was never just to save Israel. God's mission was for the whole world. And so we see that actually in a pretty cool way in Philippi. How do we see that in Philippi? The very first time he visits Philippi, again, this is before the letter of Philippians is written, it's his missionary. And uh, before we were there, just like a few mm-hmm. weeks ago. <laughs> before yeah. we were like there a too. A few thousand. Way yeah. longer before cool. we were there. Well before. And he goes to the city and one of the first things he does, he actually goes to a place of prayer. They don't have a synagogue in Philippi. They didn't have a synagogue in Philippi. They don't have one now. <laughs> they don't have one. <laughs> they didn't have one back then. <laughs> at this time period, Jewish law required that there were at least 10 Jewish men in a community for there to be a synagogue. And there evidently weren't that many men because there wasn't one. Greek and Roman. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, basically. But people still did revere the Jewish God and they would go and worship at a place of prayer is what they call it. It was a river because there's something pure about running, flowing water in Jewish thought. And so they went to a place that sort of in a lot of ways symbolized what a synagogue was about. And there he met a lady named Lydia who was sympathetic to Jewish thought and he shared the gospel with her. And who's Lydia? Like what's her background of all these people groups? Who is she? She's a Gentile, but she's described as a God fear too. So she's a worshiper of God. She would worship at this river and she came from the city of Thyatira from an area that was historically known as Lydia. And so some people actually say that's kind of where she gets her name. It's, it'd be like calling you, <laughs> I don't know, Oregon or American. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. But yeah, so she's from that area and she was a dealer in purple cloth is how she's described. Mm. Why do you think Lydia was so receptive to Paul's message? And that's a good question. I would say, first off, every person has, you know, choices, how they want to respond to these sorts of things. And some people, for whatever reason, just like in today's world, I mean, some people are are sympathetic Mm -hmm. to the message of the gospel and some people reject it. And so there's that piece, but there are also other factors at play. One is she knew the scriptures probably. She was a worshiper of God. And so she was already sort of on a trajectory where she was in a place where she could learn and accept the idea of Jesus and what he was, what he had come to establish here on earth. So there's that piece. There's also the piece that they have some similar backgrounds. Paul sometimes is described as an artisan. He was a leather worker. He would go and work among those sorts of people in the various communities where he would share the gospel. And Lydia was a similar type. She's described as a dealer in purple cloth. And so they had sort of a natural connection, you might say, through that as well. 
Yeah, that's what I found most interesting is like kind of this book that we read to prepare for the journey through Philippians was Douglas A. Campbell's Paul, an Apostle's Journey. And he does a really good job of painting this picture of like, these are all kind of like today, people who are artistic or artisanal, they all kind of stick together. They band together. Like, you know, you go down to the local art gallery and you'll walk in and there's musicians and there's painters and there's photographers and they all work in together and they do Mm -hmm. their thing. And this was Paul's thing. Mm -hmm. Like Paul would go somewhere new. He would find a community of people that did stuff like what he did, make money. And this is how we built relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love the analogy he is. He he calls it missionary snakes and ladders. I'm not sure why he does. There was the game Shoots and Ladders. Yep. Yeah. Remember that? But this idea that he would enter new communities and he was developing a web of connections, a network of connections, whereby he could meet one group of, let's say, Jews and mm-hmm. share the gospel with them. But then he might sort of jump on a ladder and sort of shoot his way to a different connection when it presented himself, usually with some sort of artisan or similar worker. He's a mm-hmm. great networker. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it actually presents a pretty fascinating model for evangelism for us today. Well, I mean... It doesn't mean you have to be working in a church or a pastor to share the gospel. Yeah. Like you can do it in the marketplace. Well, and that's the thing that I think this shows us is Lydia is just doing what she normally would mm-hmm. do. That's she has a sphere of influence and Paul has a sphere of influence based on his interests. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just because it's leatherworking, which yeah. not a lot of people are doing these days. Brendan does some leatherworking here and there. I worked my shoes the other day. <laughs> <laughs> you, oh, yeah? Is that like I, a cobbler? Yeah, what are you, co- are you cobbling? <laughs> no, my leather, off time? my leather boots. You I write put, books, you read the Bible, wait, and you're making shoes over there? Did you there? shine them? I put some sort of like lotion on them. Yeah, you shined so, them. So there you go. You did some shoe shining. <laughs> no, no, no. He said lotion. He, he's just moisturizing leather, leather lotion. Shoes, all right? Leather lotion. But that's just it. Like you have your like sphere, your sphere of influence and you look around you and you build relationships. Mm-hmm. And then only once you've built the relationship. I think this is one of the issues that our world is struggling with right, right now. Right. Is everybody has very strong beliefs and shouting at people you don't know. Right. Turns out doesn't really change people's minds very well. Yeah. Like going door to door or just like randomly. Or Facebook to Facebook. Page. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Either one. I mean, I was actually starting to think of like, you remember the Google Plus? They, oh, yeah. they started and shut down. Yeah. I remember actually logging Oh, was in. that like the groups yes. that you could create? Uh, yes. Yeah. And actually, I thought it was like such a fascinating platform. Uh-huh. And, but I remember reading an article, someone said, it's great in theory, just no one uses it. Like yeah. the only right. people who are using it are the people who are just testing it out and whatever. But it's actually kind of in a lot of ways what the model is. Mm-hmm. It's recognizing that we have different circles. Mm-hmm. We don't have necessarily just have one sphere of influence. Paul had several yeah. and he leveraged all those when he moved into different situations. In a lot of ways, that's what made him such a great missionary to, let's say Philippi, for instance, because here we have a group of people who are Roman citizens and he understood it. Mm-hmm. He understood their situation because he was a Roman, citizen, a Roman citizen himself. Yeah. But he could also go and preach to Jews because he was a Jew right. himself. And so he would leverage these connections and use those as opportunities to get in and take them to a new place. They'd begin with something they had in common, and he wanted to take them somewhere new, mm-hmm. uh, which is ultimately this message about Jesus. This was kind of our inspiration for the creative parts of this book, too. When we created this book, we wanted to show people the real Philippi. Mm-hmm. But we also wanted to show people this metaphoric idea of what does it look like when everybody brings their talents yeah. and just has an open mind about who they might talk to. So yeah. we have in the book all these different artisans, these different mediums that are highlighted and represented hopefully of everybody, not mm-hmm. just like people who are creating artwork or creating something with their hands, but all these different mediums and ways that you could have a sphere of influence. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. what medium is your medium? Is it cooking? Is it being a stay-at-home mom? Is it being an accountant? Is it being an actual artist? Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter. You have a sphere of influence. 
I mean, I think it's amazing to see that God used someone like Lydia, who was in the minority. She was not someone of royalty, someone that, you know, you think would have influence, but yet that was who Paul met and that was how he shared the gospel. And she was a God fearer. Mm -hmm. So she was not Jewish and yet she was able to follow this Messiah that had been talked about for thousands of years, Mm -hmm. well beyond her story. Yeah. And it's amazing to see that like God was preparing her heart, you know, I mean, if she was not open, like Brendan said to the gospel, if she was not in a place where her heart was, you know, seeking something other. Yeah. Because I mean, she accepts the gospel, not only that, then she welcomed Paul into her home. She showed Mm -hmm. that hospitality, invited Mm -hmm. them in. And that does, by the way, show that she probably had some sort of influence. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, she was an outsider. She wasn't native to Philippi, but she worked with purple cloth which meant that she was working with essentially Roman leaders who wanted, they'd had these purple togas they would wear. And anyway, like she as had a some, sign of royalty or what I, was the purple? Actually, <laughs> I, as being the artisan of the group, I know a little bit about oh, this. But this is also in Douglas Campbell's book. Like there's this type of shell yep. that they got this purple dye from. And mm-hmm. it was thousands and thousands of shells you'd have to crush and like grind up and process mm-hmm. wow. to get this dye. And like, it's just an absurd amount of work for a tiny amount of dye. Hmm. Yeah. So these big purple sashes or wraps or togas, yeah. they were incredibly expensive. Mm-hmm. And so people would buy them just to show that they were of the elite and wealthy class. Yep. Wow. So she was definitely a part of that trade. So I'm guessing she had a good amount of I guess she income. she did have some or, influence. Yeah. Yeah, she had good resources. And that's, I mean, in a lot of ways, we might suspect that that's how Paul financed some of his future journeys. The book of First Thessalonians. Thessalonica is actually where Paul went next. And while he was there, he received gifts from the Philippians and probably from Lydia because she had some resources and used her influence that way and probably also connected him with other artisans in Thessalonica. Gave him an opportunity, a platform there to share the gospel. You know, this first chapter wraps up this whole idea of you may be a citizen of this area or of this area. You know, we talked about where we're all from. You know, there's people from all different religions. They've got ethnic backgrounds that make them who they are. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if you can view yourself in light of Christ and what he's done, you become a citizen of heaven. And Mm -hmm. that's the ultimate thing that we're trying to look at is if we're citizens of heaven, it changes the way that we view our circle of influence and Mm -hmm. the way that we can affect the world. In a lot of ways, this is the core of the message of the book of Philippians. I mean, Paul says in chapter 1, verse 27, his very first command, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's challenging the Philippians to recognize, hey, you aren't just Romans, you are citizens of heaven, so you ought to live like that. You ought to live out the gospel just like Jesus. Well, and like being a citizen of heaven, really what that means for us today in the church is all about unity. We all have things we can disagree about. We have a lot of things that we view differently based on either the way we read the Bible, our translations of the Bible, certain things that we believe. But what Paul is trying to say in this first chapter of Philippians is that regardless of that, we all have a unifying mission. And it is that we need to show other people the gospel Mm -hmm. and show people what it means to be a citizen of heaven. Thanks for joining us for the Journey Through Philippians podcast. If this is your first time, we're so glad you checked us out. Keep listening. If today didn't seem like your cup of tea, check back tomorrow. Every single day is just a little bit different. To check out even more resources like videos from Philippi, children and family resources, and eBooks for all ages, visit our journey page at willowjourney.org and follow us on Instagram at willowcreeknS. Be sure to share your journey experience on social media with the hashtag willowjourney. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministries of Willow Creek Community Church, check out willowcreek.org. We'll see you tomorrow.